Isn't that great? Well, we watched that this week and we laughed so hard. But uh, what a great video, what a great way to start. Well, today we're going to begin a, a three-week series that we have just simply entitled 10-10-80. And some of you may have walked in and wondered what in the world do those numbers represent. And if you think it's a fertilizer spreader that kills crabgrass, you're wrong. Uh, it has nothing to do with, with fertilizer. If you think it represents the IQ scores of me and T-Rock and Ben, um, you might be right, but I won't tell you if you are or not. But the truth is that, that some of you, some of us grew up hearing those numbers uh, from your parents, or you, you might remember hearing about them at church uh, as your pastor was talking about finances. 101080 has everything to do with how you manage your finances. And your parents or, or your pastor may have encouraged you to adopt these numbers at some point in life. Uh, it's, it's all about this. It's give 10% to God, save 10% of what you make, and then live off of 80%, uh, spend 80% on, on the things that you need. And you'll notice that there is a purpose, there's or, a, so, a sort of a rhyme and reason to the order. Give 10, save 10, and live off of 80, spend 80. Well, today we're going to talk about stewardship, and for the next couple of weeks we're, we're going to talk about stewardship. And, and some of you, you know, you might be real taken aback by this, and, and almost might be kicking back and... and, and and have an attitude of sorts of, wow, you know, of all the times to talk about money, you know, right now, I mean, with, with the way that the economy is, or, or do you have any idea what's going on in our home, or, or how we're trying to deal with this financial situation, or these economic times? Well, I can't think of a better time for us to talk about it as a church than right now. I, I want us to be a relevant church. I want us to talk about the issues that really matter to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And when money is tight, I think that it's in these times that we regret not having or being on a financial plan. And if you see this as nothing more than a series on how the church gets more of your money, uh, then, then you're missing the point because it's so much more on that. Because let me be clear, the purpose of this series has nothing to do with how the church can get more of your money. The purpose of this series is to present to you a simple financial plan, a, a template, a framework of sorts that can help you take the steps that you need in your life to find financial freedom. And I know that money elicits some strong emotions from people whenever we talk about it, especially in church. If it does, that might be an indicator to you that there is a work yet to be done in your life that maybe God wants to do and what he wants to accomplish. And so over the next three weeks, I'm going to invite you to, invi to, to open yourself up to God and the things that he wants to say. We are going to go straight to the Bible to see what the Bible says, to see what God's word says about our money and how we save it and how we spend it and what's required of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to start to talk uh, about giving because the truth is that every one of us should give. The Bible speaks of God's followers, of God's children becoming generous people who give generously of their own finances to support the work that God is doing in this world. And when we pass on giving, we allow our selfish nature to take over and all we do is look out for number one. And when that happens, savings become a wish and God just is lucky to get a few leftovers. And so to start off this morning, we're going to talk about what charitable giving means and what the Old Testament and the New Testament have to say about giving of our finances. So let's first see that. The Old Testament teaches tithing. And if you've got your Bibles, you might want to, to get them open now. But here's what I want to start with. Sometimes in the church, uh, maybe even growing up in a church, you've heard the phrase, tithes 
and offerings. Not T-I-E-S is something that you wear from your neck, but tithes as in T-I-T-H-E-S. Tithes and offerings. Well, let me just give you a couple of simple definitions. A tithe in the Old Testament was defined as equal to 10% of one's gross annual income. Uh, one's gross income. A tithe means 10% of one's gross income. An offering, when we speak of an offering in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, an offering was any gift given over and above the tithe. It was an expression of generosity. Well, the importance of giving back to God goes all the way back to the very first few pages of the Bible. The first two children born to Adam and Eve each brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought some fruits. And the Bible says that Abel brought fat portions from each of the firstborn of his flocks. Well, later in the New Testament, the New Testament writer for Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. Why? Well, Cain's gift was seen as a simple gift. Abel's gift actually cost him something. There was a sacrifice involved. The fruits were more easily accessible. The fat portions from the firstborn of his flocks actually cost him something. And so he sacrificed something of his own in order to give a gift to God. God is looking for a sacrifice when we give. He wants to see us stepping out in faith and giving of something that actually it costs us something. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham and his servants defeated the army that had taken the people of the city of Sodom captive, including his nephew Lot. Well, upon returning to his own land, Abraham was met by a mysterious character, a man by the name of Melchizedek, who was known as the king of Salem and also a priest of God. And in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, it says that Abram gave a tent, a tithe, of everything that he had taken to Melchizedek, the priest of God. This is the first mention of tithing in the Bible. It happens again in Genesis 28, verse 22. Jacob promised to give a tenth of all of his property to God. And later in the Old Testament, when the law was given by God to the people, the tithe was included. Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 and 34 says, it's a command, it's in the law, it was a command given to the Israelite people, a tithe, 10%, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy, excuse me, it is holy to the Lord. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for the Israelites. Well, while tithing was practiced before the law, It was not until here in Leviticus that it was commanded by God to the people. And so from this point forward, the people were encouraged and invited to tithe from everything they made and to give back to God and to his work. And as we looked at last last week in Exodus chapter 35, verse 29, it suggests that the people often went over and above in their giving to give to the work that God was doing. Exodus 35, 29, all Everyone, a whole community of the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. So they gave over and above their tithe. They gave these offerings as an act of generosity to God's work. Here's my challenge to you this morning. And, and it's about living for something greater than yourself. It, it, and that is to pursue a life of generosity. I believe that God wants each of us to become generous people 
Because as we become generous people, we start looking at the blessings that God has given us, not so much as what's mine, but, but what's God's and what he has given to me as a blessing. And seek to follow God's commands and his design for the way that you spend your money. Honor him by taking 10% of everything that you make and give it as an offering to God and the work that he is doing in this world through his church. And make it the first 10%. Make it the first bill that you pay. Make it the first check that you write. And it's not something that's easy to do, especially if you've never started. You know, when, when I was growing up, I didn't tithe. You know, it wasn't something that I had practiced. And occasionally, you know, I'd take some change and throw it into the offering plate. And when Jenny and I were married, we, we really had no desire or even reason to start giving. And so we'd occasionally throw God 50 bucks or, or throw him a few leftovers And it wasn't until we entered into full-time ministry that we realized that, okay, now we have to give. You know, if we're going to go work for a church and ask other people to give, it's going to be important for us to learn this habit. And so we did, and it was not easy. And we took this simple concept of this 10-10-80 plan, and we said, okay, we need to take the very first, you know, because we don't do it at the start of the month. If we don't do it as soon as we receive that paycheck, it will become easier and easier for it to go away, and then it'll be more, become more difficult to give. And so we took the 10%, the first 10% of everything we made, and we wrote a check to God. And there were some times, there were some months when I looked at, the, looked at the check that we were writing thinking, wow, you know, I mean, you know, I don't make a ton of money, but there, there's a lot we could do with this. I mean, th- this could definitely pay a bill. This could definitely maybe get a new TV or something, and that'd be kind of fun for the game this afternoon. And, and it was kind of hard to, to trust God with that money that we were giving. But, but as we went along, as we held each other accountable, it got easier. And while it was a little frightening at first, it became more simple to do, and we stuck with it. And we have enjoyed the blessings that we have received as we have continually trusted God with our finances. You have to start somewhere. And don't regret the years gone by that you have not given. You have to start sometime because no time will ever be a good time either. And get started so that you can make it a habit too in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's this text teach us? What does God look for? He looks for a cheerful giver, not a dollar amount. God is not interested in dollar amounts. And as we try and keep up with the Joneses in our world today, I think we get these dollar amounts locked into our minds. Well, if I can't give that, then it's not important. God's not interested in a dollar amount. He is looking for a cheerful, willing giver. He's not looking for someone who gives with reluctance or gives with a great sigh of disgust. In fact, God says, keep those gifts. I don't want them. If you don't give them cheerfully, then keep them for yourself because I won't bless them anyways. And here's the truth, and I've seen it happen. God will do more with a sacrificial gift of $20 from a single mom or from an elderly woman on a fixed income than he will do with a millionaire who flippantly tosses in a few thousand dollars just to get a tax break. Don't give those gifts. You can give those gifts to me. Just make out your check to Paul Mumon. You can just hand it to me, and uh, we won't have any problems. No, no, God expects us to give cheerfully. He is looking for us to make a sacrificial gift in our life to him. Well, the strongest command in the Old Testament is in the last book, 
in the book of Malachi. And it's here that we see clearly that God expects a tithe, but even more so, He promises incredible blessings to those who do. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how in the world do we rob God? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Now hear these words. Test me in this, is what God says, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I'm going to read those words again because I hang on these words. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. This is the only time in the Bible where God ever challenges us to test him. Do you think tithing will be hard? What does God say? Test me in this. You go ahead and step out in faith and try me in this. Do you think I will leave you hanging with your finances or with a bill? Test me in this, God says. And what does he promise? I will pour out so much blessing in your life that you will not have enough room to store it. Well, while the Old Testament taught tithing, the New Testament kind of takes a different turn. The New Testament teaches generosity. And in the New Testament, Jesus commended the tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, it says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give, a, a ten, you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of gardens and herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Notice here that Jesus does not reject the tithe. He does not set aside what the law had already taught. He embraced it but yet he elevated it to another, to another expectation. Jesus challenged his fo- followers to, go, to move beyond the starting place of 10% and to give to God according to how they were blessed. And then Jesus' followers were challenged to rise above the righteousness of the Pharisees in their giving. And so while the tithe was the standard in the Old Testament, generosity becomes the standard in the New Testament and in the church today. And the Apostle Paul later commended this. Speaking about the church in Macedonia, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, out of the most, and he's speaking about a church here, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. So notice, they were facing severe trials and extreme poverty Yet they welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 11 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That our generosity is a sign of our thanksgiving to God for what he has already given to us. And so while the tithe was given as a starting point, Jesus encouraged his followers to grow in faith and to give generously. My friend Helmut Fandrich taught me a great lesson in generosity. Helmut was an older man living and serving in the church uh, where I served in Michigan. 
And uh, yes, Helmut was German, if you hadn't figured that out already. Helmut escaped Nazi Germany during World War II and eventually found his way to Michigan. And Helmut, later in life, he, he wasn't very well. His, his, his health was always an issue. Uh, his heart was not very good and very weak. And he was divorced and lived in a small apartment in the basement of his daughter's house. Helmut lived on a fixed income. He had, he had very little money, but he loved Jesus. And several times a year, Helmut make, made it a point to take me out to lunch. And there was never any arguing. He always paid. There was no opportunity for me to pay. And so we'd go out to lunch and, and totally disregarding the orders of his doctors, he would always take these one or two times a year at a local diner to order blueberry crepes. Uh, just to look across the table and see this man just, you know, digging into these blueberry crepes, just deciding, you know what, for this day and this day alone, I don't really care about my health. Well, I will never forget the time in our church where our lead pastor stood before our congregation and challenged the people of the church to make sacrificial gifts, sacrificial offerings over and above the tithe to help pay off the building where the church was currently meeting. And my guess is that Helmut was completely maxed out on his budget. But here's what he did. It didn't stop him from trusting God. Helmut, Helmut for him, decided that cable was a luxury and not a necessity, and he canceled his cable in order to give an extra $30 a month on top of what he was already giving. I can't think of a greater act of generosity. Again, God's not interested in dollar amounts. He's interested in looking into the hearts of his people to see whether or not we really trust him. Are we willing to put our faith in him and to honor him with our giving? And what does God promise to do for those who give generously? He blesses those who sacrifice. He says, I will pour out so much blessing on you. He promises to take care of those who give. One pastor wrote, don't worry about how he'll bless your tithes and offerings. He might increase your income. He might lower your expenses. He might sustain your household appliances. He might protect your health. He might keep your car out of the shop. God does not promise that when we give, he will somehow make us rich with finances and money in this world. That's never been a promise. It's not for us to determine whether he blesses us relationally or spiritually or, mature, or materially, but God has promised that he will bless us in his way and in his time. Well, the New Testament shows us one other thing about giving, and it gives us a picture of actually how to give practically. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 says, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And this is why this scripture here is why on Sundays all around the world, churches will take an offering like we do here. And if you're new here and if you've been giving or you're, you're looking to start giving in your life, uh, there are some practical ways that we have provided as a church for you to be able to give. The first is the most obvious. Every Sunday when we come into worship together, we'll pass an offering bag, as we'll do in just a little while. And it's an opportunity for you, as the Bible has said, to give, to, that you have set aside a, a portion of your funds to give back to God in the work that he is doing in this church. But there are other ways that you can do that too. 
you know, if you miss a Sunday and you know that, you know, hey, I've set this aside and if I don't give it, then there's a better chance that I'll spend it, you can always mail it in. There are people who mail, you know, their tithes into the church, and we have a bookkeeper who is responsible and accountable to others on our elder team, and she collects those portions, and they're deposited into the church account. But you know what? Maybe that is so old-fashioned for you. You know, I mean, maybe the checkbook in your life is so out of date. Uh, You can do as some have done. You can actually go into your bank, and if you have online banking, you can can do an e-check. And you can set up a recurring e-check or you can do it one at a time so that you can carefully manage what you're giving, knowing that it may have to change month to month. And you can actually do an e-check as well. But there's one other thing that I want to show to you that many churches have been doing now for some time. It's just become another convenient way to give. And it's something that we've just established this past week. And that is that we now have the option for you to be able to do online giving. It's very safe. It's secure, and you totally manage it. If you'll notice here on our website, and then I think on this next slide here, uh, we actually highlight where there is a link for online giving. You can actually click on that link and follow a series of simple steps. I tried it myself this past week where you enter all of your information. It's held by an outside secure source. It's just like online banking. But you can go in and you can set up a profile and you can choose to do all of your giving online. Again, maybe you're just, you don't do the check thing anymore and this would just work easier for you. It's just an option. You don't have to do it. But you can choose to have a recurring gift where it happens automatically on a specific date, or you can choose to go in once every two weeks or once every month, however often you like, and you can specifically designate how much you would like to give, when you would like it to be given, and it will go directly into the church's account. And we keep records of all of this, and you'll receive a statement at the end of the year uh, so you can record all of that for your tax purposes. Again, it's just for you. They're just matters of convenience. You know, I'm not saying that one's better than the other. They're just options for you as you pursue, as you listen to God and the work that he is doing in your life to teach you about giving. And and we can talk with you more about that, especially if you need some help. Um, But every penny is accounted for. You know, we believe, you know, as, as leaders of this church, that we report to someone much higher than the IRS. And we are very careful with our books, and we have people on our elder team who are who liked math and are nerds, you know, and then they just know, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not calling any of them nerds, but, you know, they just, they know how to keep track of things. And so there is accountability to every penny and every dollar that is spent in this church and very good records taken and, and audits that take place. Um, but we, re, we respond to someone higher than the IRS. We, re, we respond to God, and we believe that as you give faithfully, that we are required to be very good stewards of every penny that's given. And, you know, maybe you're not in the habit of giving, but start now. I mean, take a step of faith and try. Let God take over in your life and, and take a step of faith and trust Him. You know, sit down with your family, with your spouse, with your children, and prayerfully decide as a family what you would like to give, what you would like to share with the church. And if you have children, start them in this habit now. There can be no better time to start. They'll thank you. One of the things that you received when you came in today, and we'll have one for each week, is just a sticker that says 10 and then give. You know, put this somewhere as a reminder to you. Put it on your dashboard. You know, put it on your computer. Just something to help remind you, to get you in the practice. But do this, pray. You know, if you're scared out of your mind and you don't know how to get started, I mean, we can advise you, but you go to God and say, God, I want to trust you with my money, but I don't know how. Will you give me the faith to be able to do it? The Bible teaches us to give generously from the firsts 
that we have been given. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. The promise there is that God takes care of those who trust Him. But let's look at the other side of it. If God's commands are so clear, why don't we give? Why is it that we have such a hard time trusting Him with our money? You know, I've just tried to land on a couple of, of typical excuses for not giving. The first is, I think, just a lack of biblical teaching. You know, it's easy for churches and pastors to cave on this issue because no church wants to be, you know, have a reputation as, well, they're just money hungry. You know, all they do is talk about money. And if you are here for the first time today, I promise you and give you my word that we do not talk about money every Sunday. We just happen to be entering into this, this season now. But I don't want that to be our reputation. Uh, you know, here's the reputation I want to have. I want, to be, I want Genesis to be known as a church that is gracious a church that is kind and forgiving and caring and concerned about the welfare of others, a faithful church, a generous church, but a church that is committed to teaching what the Bible has to say. And money is one of the greatest challenges that you will ever face in your life. There is no doubt about it. Jesus taught about the subject of money more than he taught about anything else in all of Scripture. And so we're going to talk about it. And we're going to look to what the Bible has to say, and we'll let it be our guide. But there's another reason why I think giving is so difficult for people, and that's just a lack of financial planning. And, you know, we're facing some turbulent weather now as a country, and I think as a world too, and those changes have probably been showing up in your portfolio. And if you're not living in a financial plan, it's in times like these when your wallet is hit hard, and with out-of-control spending and gas prices and the mortgage industry and a lousy real estate market, there's a lot of fear right now, you know, fear that comes right here even into this room. And let's be real. I mean, if you're struggling to make a house payment, I, I think it becomes easy to think about cheating God. And if you don't make your house payment, here's the thing. They're going to charge you with a penalty fee, and God is so good and He's so patient and He's so kind that He's never going to charge you a late fee for not giving. I mean, He'll never smack you with a late fee. He's patient with us. I think another reason that it's difficult for us to give and tithe is selfishness. And I know that one kind of stings a little bit. When you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you basically gave Him the steering wheel. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And for the disciples, as they heard these words, they gave up their jobs, they gave up their families, and they gave up their homes, and they sacrificed everything that they had to follow Jesus. They set aside their selfishness to live selfless lives. And we have been called to deny ourselves too. Now, fortunately, God doesn't tell everyone to give up your home or to give up your jobs or your families or your careers. But the words that Jesus was speaking to us go completely against the pattern for living in this world. What's the world think? I think it's simple. It's be greedy. You know, our eyes are bigger than our bank accounts. In 2005, for the first time in our country's history, the average American spent more than they made. And it doesn't take an expert to figure out what happens when you spend more than you make. 10% for giving and 10% for saving becomes nothing but a dream. The world continually says, you know what, you look out for number one. You take care of yourself. Do you want it? Go ahead and get it. Do you need it? You you bet. You go buy it. Get it now. And this type of living has had a profound effect on people. 
I mean, how generous are, are we as a nation? Here, listen to this. Statistically, the national giving average for Americans, so anyone even outside of the church, is about 2.5% of people. How are Christians doing when it comes to tithing in the world today? In the United States, get this. 3% of Christians tithe. 3% of Christians tithe. What's happened? Why do so few Christians give to the work that God is doing in the world? I think we've made it too much about ourselves. I mean, it's so easy for me to put the focus on, on me and what I need and when I need it and, and how I want it. And our money uh, becomes our focus, and, and it leads us into all these different places and all these different kinds of spending. And that's why we just look at this simple design, this 10, 10, 80. It's not magical. I'm not going to promise you what the returns are, but it's a design that I believe is given to us by God and by Scripture And it's his plan to help lead you to financial freedom and to a life of generosity. The fourth reason why we don't tithe is that we're just suffocated by debt. I mean, have you ever heard someone say, you know, I would love to give. Or if I made this much money or got this bill out of the way, I would be so generous. There are things that I would love to give to. Well, I believe that more people want to be generous. I believe that there are people out there today who aren't giving that want to give. They just don't know how because debt has completely strangled you. And personal debt affects our ability to be generous. And when debt comes into your life from unexpected circumstances or from medical emergencies or an unexpected divorce or unplanned pregnancies, there's not a lot that you can do. It's tough to to get through those challenges. But research shows that most debt in this world is due to greed and to insecurity and to poor investment choices. And so it's hard to give 10% when you can barely make your minimum credit card payment. And when, you, when you, you, you are in debt, you become a slave to it. I mean, King Solomon was right when he said in Proverbs 27 verse, or 22, verse 7, the borrower is a servant to the lender. And if you're drowning in debt, here, here's the bad news. The credit card company is never going to call you one day and say, by the way, we had a meeting today. We selected a group of people, and you're lucky. We've canceled your credit card debt. Uh, it's just kind of our gift to you. Thanks for, for being members with us and, you know, have a really good life. Unfortunately, it's never going to happen. But here's the message, and I know that this might be difficult for you to understand because you know your finances better than anyone else. If you're living in debt right now, you can get out of it. You can overcome the debt that has you strangled right now, and there is a better way to live. In just a few weeks, we're going to offer an opportunity to this church and even for people beyond this church. Uh, It's a 13-week series that will happen on Tuesday nights beginning November 11th. It's called Financial Peace University. How many of you have gone through Financial Peace University before? Okay, we see some, some great numbers throughout the room. Anyone say that it wasn't a good thing? And if you think it wasn't a good thing, don't say it right now because that would like really ruin the announcement. But uh, uh, Financial Peace University is, is a curriculum, uh, a study uh, of financial management that Dave Ramsey, who is one of the top radio show hosts in the country right now, uh, he's a financial expert. And uh, Mike and Tawny Parton, and I know that uh, Mark and Kim Thomas are going to help with it as well. But on Tuesday nights, there's information in our bulletin. We can talk to you about it at the Info Hub. There's an opportunity for you, for your family, husband and wife singles, to come together uh, for, for 13 weeks to just talk about financial freedom. And there are books to read and there are projects to work on uh, just to help you develop healthy habit, habits. Now, let's just get the elephant out of the room right now. It costs $99. 
We make absolutely nothing on it as a church. That's what it simply costs for the curriculum and for those things that you get to walk away with. Uh, here's my promise to you. Uh, if you do all 11 weeks of it and you feel like it was the worst, the, 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 a horrible waste of your time, we'll find a way to get your money back. But the $99 there is because there are some resources. It is a commitment, and that's exactly what it takes. It takes commitment. Um, our high school students are going to have the opportunity to go through a similar program as well beginning in November because, again, it's never too early to start talking about it. But, but get these results. Mike was just sharing this with me. The last time that our church did Financial Peace University, 24 families went through it. By the end of the 11 weeks, over $200,000 just between those 24 families had moved in some way. $150,000 of debt was paid off amongst those 24 family units in an 11-week period, and over $50,000 was moved from people's pockets into savings of some sorts, whether those be mutual funds or savings accounts. Here's the thing, folks. You can get out of debt. You can get on a financial plan, whether you know math or not, and we would love for you to consider being a part of this. Mike is going to be back at the Info Hub after the service. You can talk with him, and we're going to talk more about it in the next couple of weeks. But November 11th, check it out. Finally, the last reason we don't give, it, it's just this. It, it's a trust issue. I mean, it, it really just becomes more of a heart issue. It, it's just a matter of who we're putting our trust in. And, and you're not sure if you can trust God, and you're not sure if you can, you can step out and take the chance of trusting God with your money. I mean, will he come through for you? You know, will he make sure that you're able to pay your bills? And you hear that, hey, I hear that I will pour out such great blessings, you know, that I'll not have room for them. But is that really the case? Is that really going to work in my life for the little money that I have or the little money that I make? I mean, does God know? Does he understand my situation? Well, let me just kind of close with this illustration. Let me get into my trusty left-hand pocket here. Uh, this is simple and practical. Um, but, but maybe it'll just kind of demonstrate for us. I, I've got in my pocket right now 10 $1 bills thanks to the village pantry this morning. Some of them are a little wrinkled. Um, but, but here's what it really comes down to. Here's what God is looking for from his people. By this plan, it, it's as easy as looking at every $10 that you ever make. Here's what, here's what God wants to see demonstrated in our life. That we would take $1 for every 10 that we would make and we just set it aside and you say, you know what, God, I, I'm going to honor what you have asked of me. I'm going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to give the first dollar of every $10 that I make, and I'm going to give it to you and to the work that you want to do through me in this church to do a great thing for your kingdom. But the plan also says this, hey, for every $10 that you make, then take $1 and set it aside, call it a rainy day fund. You know, call it your emergency fund, put it into investments or a 401k or whatever, but set something aside. There is biblical teaching for putting money away. We'll get into that again next week. For the eight that you have left of those $10, you are given the freedom and the privilege of, of, of feeling like you, you, you can walk away and make healthy spending uh, decisions for you and your family. You can, you can stretch it and you can reach out and go to Ruth's Chris once in a while. Good luck finding anything that costs eight bucks, but I think you get the point. Well, here's why this was hard for me, because as my wife and I, we looked at the situation, and I think especially for me, for me, my wife came on a lot quicker. As I looked at every $10, it was tough to get into that habit of giving that first dollar to God. But over a while, and after practicing it week after week and month after month, that dollar became a little simpler, 
as we trusted God. And, and my wife, we would give that 10%, and in certain seasons, especially without kids and two incomes, we would say, you know what, we're going to do two, or we're going to do even three dollars. I mean, again, you have the freedom to do with what you want if you've given God his portion first, but then you have to learn to spend within your means with what's left. And I could tell you stories how in my life I have been overwhelmed by God's goodness and his generosity and after giving him his portion, how he has used the rest to bless me and my family. I, I tell you this today not to brag on myself in any way or to brag on our family, but we have been able to live life without any debt except for our home. I think that'll always be an issue. But God has continually, week after week and month after month, provided for every bill and every need we have ever had. We have never missed a bill. We've never missed a payment. We've never had to carry a credit card balance because God has always been faithful. And I say that with all humility and thankfulness for God's mercy and for God's grace. But he does great things when you trust him with the first part of your money. And here's what I see God happening or doing in our life now. I think when you're willing to trust him with the one and he's providing for the nine others, then all of a sudden you start getting challenged to be generous. And you start thinking about what happens when I give God two? Would he be faithful with the other eight? Here's what I want to leave you with today. Do you really believe that you have that much more faith by going after life with all ten of your dollars? Would you be willing to step out and trust that, you know what, I think God could take care of me even by living off of the nine. And this morning, I don't want you to walk out of here with anger or frustration or even embarrassment with where you are in your life right now or what your giving pattern has been like. This has nothing to do with making anyone feel ashamed or embarrassed. We want to provide for you a way to get into a better financial plan for your life and for your faith because I believe that when you start trusting God with your finances, he will unleash in you a transformation like you've never experienced before. And he will provide for every one of your needs. You know, there's one word in John chapter 3, verse 16 that I think is appropriate this morning. The verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave. And that God would be willing to demonstrate something that he will ask us to do. And, and while it may appear in, in this sermon or maybe, you know, in, even in the Bible that God wants your money, that could be very misleading because God wants your heart. That's the only thing that he wants. And I'd like you to know this morning that, that God's crazy about you and your life. And if you have given God your heart, all other areas in life will fall into place. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we invite you to take this time this morning to say, God, I want to trust you, you know, not only with my finances, but I want to trust you with my life. And we invite you to allow him to do this work in your life. If you've never surrendered your life to God, to his son, Jesus Christ, we'd love to have you do that today. Uh, we're going to sing. Uh, we're going to finish this portion in the service this morning. But if God's working in you in a special way, Immediately after the service, I'll be up here. Our elders will be here too, and we would love to pray for you. Will you join me in prayer? God, we just simply want to be obedient people to you. And I know a subject like this can be very hard to, uh, to get a hold of and to understand because you know our situations and we know our individual situations and what it is that we face.
God, would you just challenge us as we walk away from here today to just trust you? Uh, would you make it a motivation in our life as we walk away from here today to, to prayerfully seek out your wisdom and your desire for our life, especially with how it has to do with the way that we spend our money? And God, as we step out and take great leaps of faith, will you be faithful? As we take leaps of faith with our money and we give generously to you, will you be faithful in helping to take care of all of our expenses, everything that we may face? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In that we pray. Amen. In that we pray.